Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, uh, my name's Tim, and uh, my beautiful wife in the beanie, uh, who is embracing the rain today, uh, are the pastors here at the church. If I've never met you, uh, thank you for coming to the church. I know that we already greeted you once, but I want to greet everybody, not just the new people, in light of what Brandon said. Welcome to the house of God. Uh, Clearly, some of them decided not to come this morning, so all the condemnation on them. That's cool. Okay. Well, hey, uh, if you are new, we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled, Let There Be Light. And uh, we've been talking about this verse in John chapter 1, verse 5, which is kind of the key scripture we're focusing in on during this Christmas season. They're going to put it up on the, st- on the screen. But it says this, Jesus is a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And uh, we've been talking about a few different topics for the last few weeks, but I mentioned this in week one. Uh, as we celebrate the Christmas season and, you know, all the festivities, and the gifts and all the stuff that, that uh, we, we look to do and spend time with family. Obviously, we know that Jesus is the reason for the season, as it's been said. Uh, but we are not just celebrating the entrance of a baby named Jesus into the world, but we are celebrating the fact that once for all time, light entered earth and darkness could no longer extinguish that light. That there was a fulfillment of this design that God had from the beginning. As he said, the first words out of his mouth, let there be light. And while I got a little bit dark for for humanity before Jesus showed up. When he showed up on the scene, everything was illuminated. The light of God came to this earth, and uh, we do not have to walk in darkness and in confusion and in sickness and in pain and all the stuff that we seem to face every single day on this planet. When we are with Jesus, we discover that there is clarity, there is light, there is hope, there is wholeness, there is healing for our souls and for our bodies, and that's what we're really celebrating during this season. So uh, we will conclude next week as we uh, dive into that scripture a little bit further, and we do the traditional thing. We talk about the Christmas story. Uh, But today, we're going to look at yet a different facet of this light of Jesus uh, that we've been talking about. Week one, we talked about Psalms chapter uh, 119, verse 105, where it says that his word is like a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, And then last week, my wife brought an amazing message. Good job, babe. uh, About the, uh, yeah, you can clap for her. Thank you, Jazzy. Uh, about the fact that when we are exposed to the light, it can transform us. And as we behold him, we become more like Jesus. Uh, Today, I want to look at a scripture that uh, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard before, you've probably read before. If you haven't, fear not, we're going to dive into it, make it easy for everyone to understand. Um, But this is one of the one of the scriptures that, that, that we read, one of the statements that Jesus makes, it's a bit of a tall order. Uh, he's asking a lot of us as humanity, uh, but it is in fact the command and the mandate for those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And if you've got a Bible, uh, you can open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses here and we'll dig into them a bit, a bit. Here's what it says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to humanity. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. They don't put it under a bucket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everybody will praise your heavenly Father. You are the light of the world. Now, in the Greek, this word light is the word 
phos, P-H-O-S, phos. And it's where we get the word phosphorus or, you know, something that is flammable, a, a substance that is flammable. And here's what it means. In the Greek, it means fire. Someone say fire. Fire. Come on, say it like a Pentecostal. Fire. <laughs> yeah, good job. Okay. Uh, you are not a light bulb of the world. You are not, you know, just some, something that can turn on and off. No, you are the fire of the world. Uh, if you're single right now, you're, you're welcome to turn to the person next to you if they're cute and just say, you're fire. Like that would really help you out today, but I won't make you do that. No, you, <laughs> some people are already doing it. Okay, no, stop, stop. Not now over donut holes in the lobby. We can work it out later. It'll be great. You are the fire of the earth. And that's what I want to talk about today. You being on fire for God. And uh, I, I couldn't pick a sermon title because there were so many options when you talk about fire. So this is going to be, remember those books you used to read back in the day where you could kind of pick your own ending? Like there were two different endings. Anyone remember those books? No. Okay. That's just me. Cool. Um, it was like goosebumps and those weird books like that. Uh, but here's a couple of sermon title suggestions for you. Uh, get lit. Okay. Which is kind of inappropriate. So we won't do that. Um, if you like song titles, I love naming sermons after song titles. So uh, This Girl is on Fire. That one works as well, Alicia Keys. Or you go Usher, uh, gonna let it burn. Uh, and if you're saved and you don't listen to any of those music, you can go This Little Light of Mine. Okay, those are four different sermon title selections for today. Uh, let's pray. Jesus is unhappy. Okay, let's pray and we're gonna get into this. Father, we love you today. And I thank you for your people. I thank you for your house. I thank you for your presence. And I thank you that today we have the opportunity to go to your word and allow it to illuminate our lives. As we learned a couple weeks ago, you said the entrance of your word brings light. And Father, today that's what we desire. We desire our hearts to be illuminated, our eyes to see things differently, for us to be transformed from the inside out as we leave this place. I pray that no one would leave the same as we came, but God, by your word and by your presence, you do something significant and something eternal on the inside of us today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, we're gonna play a little uh, calm response here. I'm gonna say a word. This is where I want everybody to participate because okay? I can see you. I, you. You're here, we're together. So you can pretend like I don't see you, but I see you. So I know if you're gonna participate, all right? I'm gonna say a word and I want a response. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I say this word, ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Okay, thank you. You've already failed. Okay, vacation. Yes. <laughs> Come on, vacation. Beach, Maui, Disneyland. Okay. Czech Republic, girl. Okay, I like it. You said, wait, what did you say? Oh, I thought you said Czech Republic. Better than Banana Republic. That's cool too. Okay. Okay. For the record, when I said vacation, I want you to, I want you to catch this. Not a single person in the room said camping. Right? Like nobody said camping. Why? Because camping is not vacation. I knew this was my church and I knew I was among my people today, but like no one in here said camping because camping is not vacation. Camping is work. Camping is difficult. Nobody really likes to, well, some people like to camp, but you're a weird group. And uh, uh, this has been a problem for me because um, in the words of Jim Gaffigan, I married a woman who loves to camp and I'm what you might call indoorsy. I like the inside, like, I like the modern conveniences of this world. And, and this has proven to be a bone of contention in my marriage for the last 15 years. Because without fail, every single year, doesn't matter how many times I've had this conversation, we have a conversation yet again about how it would be a great idea to spend vacation camping. Like, hey, what do you wanna do for vacation this year? My wife, every single year, you know what would be great? 
what if we went camping? Like, just think about it. Like, we can hunt for our food. We can relieve ourselves outside. We can sleep in the cold. If we're lucky, we might get, you know, some, some poison oak or poison ivy. Come on, it's going to be great. Let's go camping. And every year, I remind my wife that if I'm going to take time off of work, the last thing I want to do is sleep outside in the freezing cold and cook my food over flames. That's the last thing I want to do. Like when I think vacation, as you, because you already answered this question, here's what I think of. I think of beaches, I think of room service, I think of Wi-Fi, uh, I, I think of temperature controls on the wall, like just, just the bare necessities of life. For, for me, camping is like anything below the fourth floor. Like that is camping in, in, in my world, okay? And I know I'm a little bougie, but whatever, that's fine. Like that's, that's, that's what vacation is supposed to look like. But every year we have this chat. And in the earlier years of our marriage, uh, she would give me a bit of a guilt trip and she'd say something like, you know, oh, but babe, camping's like a tradition in my family. I'm like, yeah, camping was a tradition in everybody's family before we made houses. So we don't have to go there anymore. We can move on, right? Like that's, that's what it should feel like. I don't like to camp. And the reason I don't like to camp is because I have never had a single good experience camping. That's maybe an overstatement, but I, every memory that I have of camping was not a good one. Let me tell you about the worst camping experience I ever had in my life. Once she convinced me to go, and because we don't camp, uh, we don't own anything for camping. So I had to borrow all of the gear from my in-laws and, and from my parents. And uh, so we went to my parents' house, and we're getting the tent and the stove and the propane and all that stuff. And while I'm rummaging through the items on the shelf, I noticed that there is a uh, container of uh, what I thought was lighter fluid. And so I said, hey, Dad, can I borrow the lighter fluid from you? And, and that way I don't have to go buy some. He said, sure. So I take the lighter fluid, we pack it all up. We head up to this place that uh, it was one of those campgrounds where it never actually gets cold. It's just hot all like all night long, all day long. It, just, it was just miserable, mosquitoes everywhere. Um, but I was convinced that like the only thing I could do on this camping trip to enjoy myself was to build the fire. Like if I have to camp, at least I can light something on fire. So I took responsibility for the fire. And I went out in the woods and I, I grabbed all the, uh, you know, the sticks and I brought them back. And I was not a boy scout. I, I don't know how to like, you know, do the teepee thing and build the fire. Like I was an Awana. That was my version of boy scouts when I was a kid, right? So I knew Bible verses, but you can't pray over wood and catch it fire. So I, uh, I, 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 I did my best to stack the wood, but I figured, okay, we have lighter fuel. That's what it's for. So I just squirted a little bit of lighter fluid on the wood and I lit a match and I threw it in there and it, it lit up real quick and then it quickly died. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know much about camping and lighting fires, so I probably just didn't put enough on. So I put a little bit more on and I lit it a second time and it lit for a moment and then once again, the fire was extinguished. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe the reason they put all of this lighter fluid in this container, and it's not that large, is because you're supposed to empty the entire contents of the lighter fluid onto the wood, and that will help it to, to, to ignite. And so I'm like, I'm putting lighter fluid all over this thing, and it's on my pants, and it's on the ground, and it's everywhere. Well, unbeknownst to me, I had not grabbed lighter fluid. I grabbed lantern fuel, which is white gas, and it's combustible and not slow burning like lantern fuel. You see where this is going. So after I have doused the fire pit and doused myself, uh, not intentionally, I light a match and I throw it into the fire. And I kid you not, it was something out of like an action film. Like there was like... 15 foot flames, mushroom cloud, like heavy metal music playing in the background. Like it was incredible. All the other campers at every campsite, like heads turning in slow motion. You could feel the flames from every other, every other campsite. 
And, and I start screaming because since I had lighter fuel on my pants, like the flame made its way out of the fire pit onto the ground and just all up the front side of my body. So every hair was singed and gone from the front of my body. Now, as I'm screaming in terror, I make a statement. And mind you, I'm in trauma at this moment, okay? And I couldn't open my eyes because my eyelashes were singed together. But I got my eyelashes and my eyebrows mixed up in my screaming. And so I said, are my eyebrows still there? Like that was what came out of my mouth. And people are throwing water on me and trying to douse me. And instead of consoling me or offering me any form of emotional support, I was then from that moment on just made fun of and laughed at because I was missing all the hair and I was concerned about my eyebrows. Oh, the vanity, the concern of my eyebrows. I hate camping. Like, it's the worst. Now, here I stand before you today and... Um, both my eyelashes and my eyebrows have grown back. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, please don't clap for that. <laughs> What's the matter with you? All the hair has returned uh, to my legs, and uh, I, I look normal again. Uh, and by looking at me today, you would never be able to tell that there was a time in my life where I was on fire. At best, it's become a story that I can tell about that one time in my life where I was actually aflame, where, where I was ignited. You could even see the effects of it for weeks later as you stared at my face and I was eyebrowless. Like you could see that I had been on fire, but now all I've got is a, a story about one day when this guy was on fire. And I think that that ridiculous statement and story could perhaps be analogous of where many Christians find themselves in different seasons of life. Where we can point back to moments in our life where we're like, there was a time and there was a season where I was on fire for God. You could see it. If you looked at my life, man, I was the guy Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter five where my good deeds, they were shining before men and people were giving praise to God on behalf of the change that had taken place on the inside of me. Like, I couldn't put the word down. I was praying. I was in church. Like, I, I couldn't shake this desire to be around Jesus, but, but man, that was then, and this is, this is now. Like, I, I can't speak for you, I'll speak for myself. When I was 19 years old, I had an encounter with Jesus that radically transformed me. I grew up in a, in a church, uh, but I, I wasn't really interested in God, and I ran away as a, as a late teenager. And back, back at 19 years old, I found myself at a conference in Seattle, Washington, and I met with Jesus for real for the first time. His presence was undeniable. I saw people get physically healed for the first time. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I had a vision for my life, like everything changed. I came home and I devoured the word of God and I prayed constantly. And if the church doors were open, I was in the room. I didn't care what event it was, if it was a, a prayer service, if it was all three Sunday morning services, if it was a women's conference, I was there. I just, I wanted to be in the house of God all the time. And I would love to tell you that here I stand at 35 years old and from 19 to 35, man, I've just been lit. You know, like I have been on fire for Jesus ever since. But that's, that's just not the case. And I think my life probably resembles many lives in that rather than being this ever burning flame for Jesus, I, I've found myself in seasons where I've 
I felt hot and I felt cold. I felt on fire and I felt extinguished. My, my life has probably more closely resembled a light bulb than a flame in that sometimes it's on and sometimes it's off. Sometimes I can see clearly and sometimes it just feels like I'm surrounded by darkness. And, and, and I think that all of us could, could say that that might be our experience, whether it's been bankruptcy or tragedy or failed relationship or go down the list of things that we face in this life, it seems like it becomes rather easy to extinguish the flame that once burned bright in many people's lives. It's the problem with light bulb Christianity. It can be turned on and off. In fact, after a little bit of time, if you're not careful, it can burn out. And that's where many Christians find themselves. Yet Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, that he called us to be the fire, the fuego, the light of the world. He didn't say you're a light bulb. He didn't come here to burn you out, to see you turned on and turned off. No, but to illuminate the world. This is his design and this is his desire for us. Regardless of the season, I believe that it is possible as believers not to have to point back to a time in history when we were on fire once, but to remain on fire for God every single day until we see him face to face. I don't think that Jesus desires things to go like this. We don't have to go through seasonal Christianity. I think it is in fact possible for us to remain hot, to remain on fire for Jesus. And listen, I know that there are people here today that, that maybe you just recently gave your life to Christ and uh, maybe this is all brand new to you. You're like, dude, I'm doing great. I love church. I love the word of God. I love praying. Like I am on fire for Jesus right now. And to you, I would say, awesome. Burn, baby, burn. Like that's great. But for many of us who might find ourselves in a different season, here's what I would say to you. God's design, his desire, and I believe that even today is that he would ignite something in you again that wouldn't be extinguished a month from now or a year from now that would remain for the rest of your days. In fact, even if you're in a dark season right now, I think that you have the greatest opportunity to burn for Jesus. And, and so that's what I wanna look at for the rest of our time together. How do we remain on fire for God? So, so back to the scripture, he says, in, uh, in Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, uh, when he goes into this second analogy, he says, you're like a lamp that somebody puts on a stand. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bucket. Instead, they put a lamp on a stand so that everybody around them can see it, so that it will illuminate the whole house. Now, this is a... Uh, a picture of what Jesus is talking about. They didn't have light bulbs. Benjamin Franklin hadn't been around yet. And so this is what light looked like in their day. When he says, you're like a lamp, he's talking about that they would have had a clay vessel. This is a gold, or a gold. This is not gold, this is glass. Uh, this is a glass one. Uh, but you know, a, a simple oil lamp, nothing real complex about this thing. A wick, some oil, a vessel, and a flame. He's like, this is what you are called to be. You are a lamp. I'm a lamp. You are a lamp. That's what, that's what we've been called to be. And our job as a lamp is very, very simple. Our job is to simply remain burning. That's it. I know that doesn't sound super complex, but this is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to be the lamps that remain burning, that illuminate the world around us. 
Now, if you go all the way back into the Bible, into Leviticus chapter 24, which very few people will read the book of Leviticus, but I'll just take my word for it, it's there. Uh, God comes to Moses and he says to Moses as the uh, uh, priests are getting ready to set up the tabernacle, he's like, hey, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to take some lamps and I want you to put them on the altar and the job of the priests is to, rem- is to make sure that those lamps remain burning at all times. I never want the lamps to be extinguished. Keep doing whatever's necessary to make those lamps burn. And then if you fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter one, here's what it says, that those lamps, they were a metaphorical type and picture of the church, that they were a physical manifestation in the Old Testament, but a picture of what the church is supposed to look like in the presence of God, constantly burning. Not the, uh, the institution of church, not the Father's house, but the big C, the, the church of the global world galactic, whatever, like that's, that's what we are supposed to be. The church is supposed to burn bright in the world. That's our job. And every time we simply do what we were created to do to burn, then we point people's eyes, their attention, and their affections to Jesus. Every time you're generous to somebody, you're a light in the world. Every time you are kind when somebody's been cruel to you, you are a light inside the world. Every time you forgive somebody that's wronged you, no matter how bad it is, you are the light into the world. Even when we worship and people see that we respond differently to life circumstances, we become the light of the world that points people's attention to Jesus. It's what we were created to do. In fact, if you look at even this quote from St. Francis of Assisi, the, the man whose name our city is named after, here's what he says, he preached the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. What's he saying? He's saying your life, your actions should be like this. It should be a light that is constantly pointing people to Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. Yet, it seems like it might be a little harder said than done, or sorry, sorry, harder done than said, yeah? It's it's one of those things, easier said than done. Like, think about life for a moment for you. When somebody cuts you off in the Stonestown parking lot. (laughs) Do you feel like being the light at that moment? No. Or when you're on the freeway and, you know, there's a pile of traffic, or when somebody talks terribly about you on social media, or they spread rumors about you at school, or a coworker uh, starts saying things to your boss that isn't true, or go down the list of things that happen to us in this life. Yeah, it it can become a little bit difficult to be the light. Yet I want to propose today that it is not a difficult thing for a Christian to be the light. Okay? This is not a very complex piece of equipment, all right? No No one looks at this and goes, oh my gosh, look at the technology of that thing. I mean, that is incredible. Like, no, it's 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 a flame on a wick. It's pretty simple. And if this is what Jesus equated our life to, I don't think it has to be complex for us to be the light of the world. I don't think it has to be something with a lot of pressure and a lot of burden for us to be the light of the world. I think if we simply be what he has called us to be, if we just focus on him, that it can become rather simple for us to illuminate the dark world that we find ourselves in. So, thank you, Chris. I got a single clap. All right, that's good. So, here's what I want to do. There are a few elements inside that lantern that I think we can apply to our lives. I'm gonna give you two very simple things. And if I think if we do these things, we can stay lit for the young ones, or uh, you can remain on fire for Jesus. First element that you must have if you are going to remain on fire for God is this. You need oil. If you're writing down any kind of notes, you need oil. 
You gotta have oil. Like this thing right here, I tried to light the wick before I put any, any, any oil inside the vessel and it stayed lit for a moment, but then it immediately went out. But the second I added oil to the vessel, that oil worked its way up the wick and now it allows that flame to sustain. You need oil. Back to Levit- Le- Levit- I can say it, Leviticus, there it is, 24. Uh, when God comes to Moses and he tells him to keep the lamps burning inside the, the tabernacle, here's what he says. I need all the people to continually bring olive oil into the temple so that there is enough sustenance for these lights to remain lit. You, you, you have to have the oil in order for the lanterns to stay on. Well, all throughout scripture, oil is synonymous. It's a, it's a picture, it's a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Anytime you see oil in the Bible, it's, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And what God is saying through Leviticus 24 is that the church, you as individuals, we have to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit if we are going to stay on fire for Jesus. We need the oil. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the verb tense in that scripture in the Greek, it's, it's a continual tense. It would be like us saying in English, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, or if you want the pirate version from the New King James, I think it's be ye being filled. Anyone ever feel like a pirate when you're reading the New King James? You're like, be ye being filled. Like, like let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, this is not a complicated task. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not difficult. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, for those of us in the room that have, the Bible tells you that you were indwelt, that you were filled with the Holy Spirit. He came in and he made residence on the inside of you. This is his home now. So uh, his job now that he lives on the inside of you is he's your helper. Uh, He convicts you of wrong. He guides you in all truth. If you're ever wondering what that little voice is when you're about to do something you shouldn't do and it's like, hey, don't do that. That is the Holy Spirit holding you back. Like you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to guide you. But, and you've probably realized this by now, just because you prayed a single prayer and you invited God into your life it didn't mean that everything changed from that point forward. You still had a propensity and an ability to rack up sins like the rest of us. Like if it was a one-time prayer and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, from that point forward, everything should be perfect, right? Like like when you had the Holy Spirit, none of you sinned ever since then, right? Like you've done nothing wrong? Okay, yeah, exactly. Like there, there is a continual need as a believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant thing, why? Because ultimately what you're filled with is going to get out of you. What's in you is going to get out of you. So if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what gets out of me? Guess what I respond with in this world when people cut me off or when they talk poorly about me or whatever happens. If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then I respond appropriately to the the things that I face in this life. Like I respond with the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians 5 says. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the stuff that we really need, that we really desire, it is found in being filled with the Holy Spirit. What's in me is gonna get out of me. Now, if you're full of something else, then that's what's gonna get out of you. But you are full of the Holy, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, then that is ultimately what comes out of you. And listen, the world does not need anything negative anymore to get out of some Christians, okay? They don't need another excuse to look at the church and go, I knew it, it's, it's all fake. 
Uh, they, you know, they don't actually practice what they, what they say they believe. No, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can respond appropriately to life situations so that we can be this lamp in our world. If we're gonna burn for Jesus, we gotta have that oil coming out of us. This is why in this series, as basic as it might sound, over and over and over and over again, we're saying, hey guys, be in the word of God, be in prayer. If you're in town and not on vacation, come to church, be in the house of God. If you pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit. Why? Because every time you do those things, it's like getting underneath a faucet and just being filled with oil, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of him, that's the natural outflow of your life. Let me say it like this. Just as it says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the spirit is the stuff you really wanna do, think about an apple tree for a moment. It is not difficult for an apple tree to produce apples, right? Like it doesn't like at apple season just go, you know, and an apple shows up. (laughs) No, it naturally produces apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree. We should naturally produce the things of God Why? Because we're filled with his spirit and that's what comes out of us. So you gotta have oil. Number two, if we're gonna burn the way that Jesus has called us to burn on this planet and be a flame that draws people to him, you don't just need oil, we also need oxygen. We also need oxygen. Like, okay, that's weird. What do you mean by oxygen? Matthew chapter five, he says, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bucket. Because then no one would be able to see. No, we put it on a stand so that everybody can see this light. That's what we're supposed to do, to to be on display for the world, to show the love of Jesus. No, no No one would ask to be lit and then just cover themselves up. That doesn't make any sense. But have you noticed, especially in our city, that sometimes it's a little more convenient to live like that than to be on display? especially those of you who are in college and maybe you go to one of the universities nearby, uh, as someone who spent a few days on those college campuses, man, it is a lot easier to just sort of blend in than to stand out for Jesus because there's some ridicule and there's, there's some finger pointing and there's, there's some difficulty in, in actually being the light of the world there. There's some rejection. Like, honestly, it would be a whole lot easier if Jesus just said, hey, it's you and me. Let's make this thing private. It's going to be totally fine. You don't have to tell anybody else about it. Like, okay, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't, want, I don't want anyone to judge me. And I don't want things to get weird between me and my family members who don't believe what I believe. So I'm just going to keep this Jesus thing private. Like, I'm just, it's, it's a lot easier. What is it about our culture? And what is it about maybe the enemy's ploy that has convinced us that the most peaceful thing we can do is to not talk about Jesus? Isn't that ironic? Like, oh, I just want to keep the peace. Like, we're not malicious about not wanting to tell people about it. I don't think anyone in this room is like, well, I'm on my way to heaven, tell with everybody else. I don't think anyone's saying that. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not our heart. But we, in the name of peace, just keep our mouths shut. Like, we're like, I don't want to offend anybody. How ironic. Isn't Jesus called the very prince of peace? Isn't that his very name? Isn't that, in fact, what we celebrate in this season? The entrance of peace into the world? How on earth can we expect people to live with peace if they don't have the very bringer of peace in their life? Like the the, the very thing they're looking for is found in the hope that you and I have discovered. Like 
Jesus is what people need. Yet in the name of peace, we, we keep our mouths shut. It's, it just, it makes no sense to me. Let me expose this lie. The, the most loving thing you can do for somebody is not to remain silent about your Savior, but it's to, in fact, let your light shine in every conversation and in every opportunity. To let the world know about this hope that you found in Jesus. Uh, th- there's a, a guy most of you are familiar with. His name's Penn, uh, Penn and Teller. They've got a, a magic show in Las Vegas. And uh, one day after their magic show, by the way, Penn is a, is, is a devout atheist. He's an outspoken atheist. And uh, one day after a show, uh, this, this man stuck around to talk to Penn. Apparently after the show, he talks to people. And there's a line of folks that are waiting to chat with him. And this guy stands at the end of the line. And once the rest of the auditorium is emptied out, it's pretty much just him and Penn in the room. And he begins to share with Penn about his love for Jesus. And he's like, I know that you don't believe in God and I know you're an atheist, but man, I've just, I found this hope in Jesus and I wanted to tell you about it. And, you know, he begins to share with Penn all that God has done in his life. And Penn was gracious and he's like, hey, you know, I just, I just don't believe what you believe. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that, which is why you're here talking to me. But um, thanks, for, thanks for sharing, but I'm, I'm not interested. And the guy's like, well, I just, I just felt like I had to tell you. It felt like the right thing to do. So this guy leaves and Penn goes backstage and as he goes backstage, he gets on his cell phone and he begins to record a video on Twitter that ultimately made its way to YouTube and you can go check it out. But he begins to describe this scenario between him and this, and this man. And he's noticeably bothered about what took place. He's, he's agitated about the fact that this guy came up and started talking to him, but he made this incredible statement in the middle of it. And he, he said, if people actually believe that Jesus is real, and they believe in a literal hell and a literal heaven, then how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about the hope you found? If an atheist understands that the most loving thing a Christian can do is to share the hope that they've found, then let those of us who are filled with the Spirit of God take note and realize it is not love when we stay silent about Jesus. It is not love when we avoid the awkwardness of a conversation because we just want to keep the peace. No, love is exposing the rest of the world to the hope that we have found in Jesus. And I'm not asking you to go downtown and stand on a soapbox and tell everybody, you're going to hell unless you come to Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just asking you to do the very thing you've been created to do, to burn in front of people for Jesus, to let your good deeds shine before men. Why? Because if you don't, and if we, if we get cloistered away and weird about this whole thing of Jesus and it just becomes a personal relationship that never makes its way out of our lips, not only is the world robbed, they don't ever see the light of Jesus, but back to my thought, you need oxygen when you cut off the gospel from your lips, when we become silent about the things of God, not only does the world not get to see a flame, but your flame extinguishes. When, when the flame is cut off of oxygen, that was not a magic trick, by the way, like, oh my gosh, it's magic. No, it's, it's basic science. When you cut off a flame from oxygen, it, it doesn't have the ability to burn any longer. Jesus said, don't hide it under a bucket. Don't put it under a bucket. Why? Because the world is robbed, but ultimately your fire will burn out as a believer. 
if your life becomes about you and you alone and becoming a better version of yourself and never looking out to the world around us and going, who can I serve today? Who can I help today? Who can I love today? Who can I display Jesus to today? That is what we're on the planet for. And if you do not believe me, if you don't believe that this is what happens to Christians who get silent about Jesus, I challenge you to go to a dead church that's been around for 50 years and they just have gotten all about themselves and it's us four and no more and they haven't preached the gospel in 50 years. You'll walk into that room and you'll go, man, it feels dark in here. Talk to some believers that have made their Christianity all about themselves and they're never serving other people and that is what their life looks like. Bitter, weird, and dark. No, the, the, the most energizing thing, the most, the, the most exciting thing we get to do is to burn in our workplace, is to burn in public, is to burn before our friends and our family members. Why? Because they see Jesus and it ignites a flame on the inside of us. If you're bored with God, man, get passionate about sharing Jesus with some people again. Get in front of some folks that don't know God. I feel more comfortable around people that don't know Jesus than I do around people who do know Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus people are very critical of me, but the, the, the really messed up ones out there that don't know God at all, man, they just love me and I love them. And this is, it, it just brings life to me. Like, oh, you know, they, they, they offend me. Like they, they say things that are, you know, inappropriate. They use profanity, Pastor Tim. <laughs> yeah, you watch it in TV all the time. Like, <laughs> Man, get around some people that look different, that smell different, that live different. Share the love of Jesus and it'll stir up a flame on the inside of you again. I used to have a friend who, who would make this statement. He, he would say all the time, you know, my life, here's what I do. I embrace the awkward. That's what I do. I embrace the awkward. I'm encouraging you to embrace the awkward. Embrace the awkward conversation. Embrace the awkward family member. Embrace the awkward friend and the fact that they don't know anything about Jesus and they might reject you. Just embrace that. It's better to embrace it now and to deal with the awkward now than to deal with the awkward in eternity. Let that sink in for a moment. I would rather let things be awkward now so that I can be the light that Jesus has called me to be. Amen. Now, here's my selfish motivation for all of this. There's a reason that I'm telling you this on December 16th, the week before we have our Christmas service and historically that's the time when most people come to church. This season is perhaps the most polarizing season of the year. While some people are dancing and singing and saying, it's the most wonderful time of the year, there are a lot of people, statistically, who are saying, this is the worst time of year for me right now. The, the, the statistics will tell you that between Thanksgiving and Christmas, in that one year period, and you've heard me share this, that more people consider or attempt suicide and more people are depressed than in any other, or excuse me, than the rest of the year combined during this one month period of time. This is a dark season for some people. And if ever there was a season where people are looking for hope, where they're looking for light in the midst of darkness, you, you are sitting in that season right now. And whether it's hopelessness or whether it's obligation because people go to church on Christmas and Easter, we call them the creasters around church, uh, whatever that case might be, next Sunday, it is gonna be very easy to get people to come into the house of God. People are gonna respond more positively to an invitation to church in this season than in any other season throughout the year. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to simply be what you were created to be. To be the light. 
to be the invitation. You're gonna get a bunch of these on the way out the door today. This is not to build a kingdom and you know, establish the Father's house and you know, fill this place with people. That doesn't matter to me at all. Here's what does matter. Broken people walking into a room, experiencing the hope that is found in Jesus, seeing the light, saying, I wanna follow that. I wanna follow him and their lives being transformed for eternity. A simple invitation in this season could turn into eternity change for another person. It, it, it's not complicated. Be the invitation this week and let's see broken people find Jesus. I promise you this, next week, there'll be a very clear, simple gospel presentation. People will have an opportunity to come to know Jesus. If ever you had an opportunity to bring family members and friends that don't know him, next week is your chance. Let's get people in the house and let's see lives restored, amen? Okay, we're gonna land. Band, you guys can come. But as we do, two things. Uh, my pastor used to say to me, uh, every good sermon has answers two questions. What do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? Okay, here's what I want you to know and here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and it's not complicated. That we are the vessels that God has called and, and just if you're in the word, if you're in prayer, you are being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a difficult task. And here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to pray every single morning before you go out to, throughout your day. I'm gonna pray, Jesus, help me to be the light today. Whatever that looks like, he'll be faithful. He'll give you opportunities. He'll let somebody cut you off so that you can be kind to them. He'll give you an opportunity where someone stands in front of you in line and they forgot their wallet or they don't have cash and they can't pay for something. He'll give you the opportunity to be generous. How can I be the light this week, Jesus? And I want you to grab a fistful of cards and I want you to invite everybody you know to be in the house of God next week. And I think if we'll simply be the light, that the promise of Matthew 5 will take place in our life, that men will see our good deeds and they won't glorify us, but they'll turn their attention to Jesus and they'll see Jesus in us and they will glorify God. I believe there are hundreds and thousands of people in this community that we're gonna see come to salvation, come to faith in this house. And it's because we will be the church that refuses to be anything other than light. The reason I think God's hand has been on the Father's house, even in 14 short weeks, is because we've refused to get insular and think about ourselves and how can we become better versions of ourselves, but we are constantly looking out and going, who can we serve? How can we be the light in this community? I, I think that's what God wants to do in our church. We have empty seats, let's fill them with broken people, amen? Come on, amen, thank you, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.